I'm Coach Seb, and this is Running New Mexico. Joining me today, I have Margaret Gordon. She is a runner, an ultra runner. Uh, she's one of the race directors for the Mount Taylor 50K. And I'm so excited to have you here. So thanks for joining me. And thanks for having me. I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you today and just really enjoyed listening to the podcast. This is cool. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, one of the things I want to touch on is, is uh, one of your most recent races, the Arrowhead 135. But let's start from the beginning. How did you get into running? Yeah, so, um, you know, my family is not very, uh, I wouldn't say that they're not athletically inclined because they do, you know, kind of solo kinds of things, but not sports inclined. So in school, I wasn't really encouraged to get into sports, even though I tried basketball and volleyball and all those things. But I have to say anything that involved a ball, I was particularly bad at. So, <laughs> so um uh, when it came to to running and swimming, um, uh, I was thinking about joining track. My friends kind of were joining track. And then a boy I had a crush on as a freshman in high school said, oh, yeah, you ought to go out for track. I'm like, OK, I'm in. So <laughs> so so I joined track. Unfortunately, it was not meant to be. He was a sprinter and I was a half mile, mile kind of person. So um, so I did that. I was an average high school runner, ran in college just for health reasons, you know, just to get out and be active. Um, and then in grad school, um, became friends with several women who wanted to do a triathlon. And so um, I wrote the training plans for that and and um, became more active again and started doing 5Ks and, and half marathons. But it wasn't until I got to Albuquerque um, that I discovered trail running. Um, seemed like Albuquerque Roadrunners they had weekly runs, and one of them was a trail run at that time that I loved. Um, and so that's, you know, that kind of was the foundation for my running. You've talked to a lot of people who get started, you know, in, in high school with, with track or cross country because some friends talk them into it or yeah, they, they, they see someone who are like, oh, yeah, I want to join because you're there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's straight, you know, for, for a solo endeavor, um, I think for a lot of us, it's it's also um, a nice pairing because the team environment is really important to it, right? Um, and we had a really great track team. We cheered each other on. If you were on a relay, that relay team, you know, got really solid. Um, so while it is an individual event, right, there's there's a lot of uh, team camaraderie that comes into it. Uh, absolutely. It, it is. It's, um, it's always interesting how much the team really matters like yeah how much you get from the people around you and and i think how people kind of look for that as they get older you know when they continue their running and they look for mm -hmm. things like albuquerque roadrunners and and you know duke's track club and finding groups that they can meet up with and, and get that camaraderie back with because it is so especially at that time in high school it, it just really um helps build who you are yeah, you know, and it helps it helps you find out what things are going on, right? So I joined the Albuquerque Roadrunners because I was new to Albuquerque, moving here from Wisconsin, um, and I needed to know like where where to run and and what the races were, and you know the 
when I moved here in 2002, the internet wasn't as uh, as pervasive. You know, there was no Facebook, right? There wasn't no. there wasn't a lot of these. So, how did you find out about things? It was word of mouth. So, yeah, really, really important. Right. Absolutely. If you if you if you weren't already kind of a part of it, you had to go and try yeah. to seek it out in different ways. Like yeah. instead now, I mean, you just do a quick Google search, running groups in in Albuquerque. That's true. <laughs> and you know, you'll you'll probably come up with some Instagram pages and some Facebook groups. And yep. So much easier. <laughs> it is easier. Yeah. Uh, you said you ran, you know, in high school, just to kind of stay fit. Was that um, just kind of on your own? Were you a part of a team or? Um, in college, uh, yeah, in college, no, I wasn't. You know, I went out for the ultimate frisbee team, um, <laughs> but because <laughs> yeah, so I can't play any ball sports, but frisbee yeah. I'm good at. Um, uh, you know, they were really hardcore and training. You know, six days a week, and and I was in the honors, you know, honors program, and and I just couldn't devote that amount of time. So. Well, you know, I made the team, I quickly dropped it because I couldn't, couldn't really commit the amount of hours they wanted. So no, I just, just kind of ran on my own. Um, Madison, Wisconsin is where I went to undergrad and really great trails around there, right? You know, the the campus university. um, Yeah, just beautiful, beautiful area running around the lakes. Yeah, I mean, that's got to be so, so different in itself, you know, coming from Wisconsin. And I've only been out there think once and just you know the difference like you talk about the lakes and it's so green and and wet and yeah (laughs) exactly New Mexico Albuquerque it's it's a little bit different from that (laughs) it is it's way different I remember coming out here for the job interview and thinking I was going to see sand and saguaro cacti that's what I assumed Albuquerque was going to be and I was so surprised to see a mountain I didn't know that the sandias were right here um it didn't mean anything to me yet, right? I'd never done any even mountain hiking, right? There aren't there aren't mountains in Wisconsin. There are hills, large hills. Yeah. Um, but, so yeah, very different. <laughs> um, and when you started, you said you you were you know a group of you were working together, wanted to do triathlon, and you kind of wrote plans. You know, again, what was that like? Because Again, now internet, you can go online. You can oh yeah, right. You can just type in <laughs> triathlon plan, first triathlon, yeah. and and you'll get, you know, you can get hundreds of different things. You can find coaches online that you know will absolutely take you anywhere from just oh you want to finish it. Here's what you need to do to you know here's what you need to do to get certain times. Like, mm-hmm. how did you go through that? You know, during that yeah. time, it's like I mean. I know there was Runner's World and some other magazines that offered some. Yeah, um, as a poor graduate student, I didn't subscribe to Winter <laughs> Runner's World. I couldn't. I couldn't justify the I don't know fifteen dollar annual fee for that, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so let's see. So there was a listserv I was part of, and I can't even remember what it was called. It was triathlon something or try try newbies or something. And so, you know, you get some ideas there. Really, mostly though, what I really needed ideas for was the swim workouts. Because I did have the the track background, so I kind of understood, you know, how to build up to. And we were thinking of a sprint triathlon, so it's, you know, yeah. a, a you know a short swim. It's a, a what is it? A twenty k bike and a five k run. So it's it's not it's not a huge distance. Um, so I understood how to how to build up the run and the bike, um, but the swimming is where I wanted I wanted more specific workouts. So I got some from there, you know, and and 
we didn't really know what we were doing to start with, but you kind of figure it out, right? You yeah. kind of figure out how to um, how to throw in some intervals and how to keep it interesting. And we had each other to keep keep motivated. So, yeah. That's fun. I mean, it's always fun to just try different things. And <laughs> Oh, yeah. And like I said, yeah, you know, you know the, there was a triathlon, a half Ironman triathlon that went past my house growing up. And that is one wow. of my earliest memories is as an eight-year-old handing up oranges and bananas to the bikers as they zoomed past me. And I just remember thinking like, wow, that's incredible what they're doing. And I want to do that. Um, so, so yeah, I, I actually was more of a triathlete when I came to Albuquerque than I was a, a runner. Um, but um, after joining the the trail runs and getting into that scene, it just I quickly, you know, all my love went to, to, to trail running and being on my feet. So it's very easy to fall in love with that. <laughs> <laughs> it is, especially with all the the outdoor areas that we have. We're we're very lucky, very fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just a plethora of of places, not just around Albuquerque. I mean, through the state. I mean, going down to oh, the yeah. Spruces and the Oregon Mountains, and you got Santa Fe and you know Pecos, yep. and, and yeah, there's just so many places you can do. You know, so many yep. different terrains. Chama and Mount Taylor, the San Pedro Parks wilderness area. I mean, if if you're willing to to take the risk of of driving somewhere to explore somewhere new, we have some fantastic places here. It's yeah. almost always worth the risk. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the you know, Continental Divide. Oh yeah. You know, people love that. <laughs> you can if you want that altitude training, we have that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a fantastic memory, you know, going back to what you said about like living on a, on a path where, you know, a half Ironman comes through and being able to. Oh yeah. About things like I I was never a part of like a a big race. And and my, my dad was always helping out in different little races around um, and where I grew up, Las Vegas, New Mexico. And so I knew some of the things that went into it and all of that, but you know, so you saw kind of the organization side of the race almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that was, that was very interesting. Um, but, you know, being able to be a part and seeing like, you know, even, even being a part of the Houston half marathon and, and the, the people, the amount of people that are just lined up and cheering <laughs> have things like that bananas and water and thing and just, the atmosphere is is something else and you know my kids got wrapped up in it cheering oh yeah (laughs) so I can imagine what you were again what you were feeling at that time because it's that's not something I think a ton of people get to experience yeah yeah definitely you know being part of that aid station and and you know you as an eight-year-old I think you I was at that point where I was able to take instruction and take it very seriously. So I was very serious about that job of handing up oranges and bananas or handing up drink. Right. And so they instructed me on how to do it. And, and then, you know, I had all these questions about, you know, how far these people had gone or, or, you know, how long it was going to take them. And so, yeah, it just, it just stokes your imagination. Right. Yeah. I I just, that's, I don't know. So cool. Those are early memories of the, (laughs) Yeah, I actually I went back and did that race. That was the first half Ironman I did. Oh, um, really? <laughs> it didn't go very well, but um, <laughs> but I just yeah I, I remember um, finishing the race and I was the last finisher. It's the only race I've ever been the last finisher on. Boy, I totally messed up the the race execution, but it was my first one. So um, 
but it, it was so satisfying to be on the course and just to think back through all those years that I had been part of the aid station. And yeah, it was, that was really cool. And was, were your parents still living in that house as you, mm-hmm. as you passed? Yeah. By? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Yeah, that, so that, that was pretty, been pretty cool. Even even if you were in last. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't last at that point. It was after after that point on the bike that the wheels came off. But yeah. it happens. Oh, <laughs> uh, and and I mean, I I think it's it. There's very few people who haven't been in that situation where <laughs> something goes wrong and you just end up whether you you know. DNF or or end up in mm. last it's it's universal <laughs> yeah yeah you know and there's a lot to you always learn something out of every race that you do um whether or not you DNF or if you're last but I feel like you know that race was the first time I, I came into that you know facing that part of me that was like it that persistent part where no matter what I was going to keep going right it didn't matter how long it was going to take. I was just going to keep going. Yeah, that's, that's, and that's a great thing to learn. That's a great thing to have, especially, you know, well, I mean, in anything really throughout mm-hmm. life, but, you know, doing these endurance events, you know, you, you really have to be able to push past those points of, it past your breaking points, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Be comfortable with that the the whatever pain or or discomfort you're going through mm-hmm. yeah um so when you started doing the trail runs and kind of falling in love with that uh you know how long did it take you to like go from oh this is fun i really enjoy running along these trails to oh they actually have races where i can do this <laughs> yeah right um so as part of the Monday Monday Run Crowd, that's where I first met Ken, my husband, um, and I was I was married to someone else at the time. Um, and you know, right away I started hearing about the crazy distances they were doing. They were doing 50k races. I mean, what the heck is that? And then <laughs> and then all of a sudden in August, all of them came back from doing this hundred mile race, which actually turns out is not the first time I'd heard about that particular hundred mile race, and that's Leadville. Um, so my PhD advisor, several years before, called me into my, his office um, right as I was writing up my PhD, right? So I'm very stressed out writing this PhD and thesis and calls me into his office and I thought he was going to take me to task for something. But instead, he shows me a magazine and I think it might have been Runner's World. And the article is about the Leadville 100. And he says, Margaret, you're going to do this race one day. And at this point, I, I think maybe I had done a 10K race. I think maybe, right? That's the farthest I had gone. And I'm like, Ken, you, my, my advisor's name was Ken. I'm like, you're insane. Do you know how far that is? That There's no way I'm ever running 100 miles. Like, no, that's not going to happen. He's like, no, no, you're going to do this race one day. So so I heard about this race from from Jean Herbert and from Susan Brozick and, and Ken Gordon. And I hear them talking about it. I'm like, they're pretty crazy. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, I was still doing triathlons and training for one, a uh, training for an Ironman. And Ken decided he wanted to do that same Ironman. So we started biking together sometimes to, to train for that. And we were trying to get our friend Kurt Coonrod also to sign up. Right. And Kurt had always wanted to do an Ironman, but he didn't really like the thought of the group swim start because it does get 
pretty frantic, pretty crazy, you know, lots of people thrashing in the water. Um, and so, so Ken comes to me one day and he says, I know how we can get Kurt to sign up for this Ironman. And I said, oh, really? Well, you know, don't, don't hold on to me. How, how are we going to do it? He says, oh, you agreed to do the Leadville 100 mile race if Kurt will do this Ironman. I said, no, no way. I am not, I'm not doing that. I can't run 100 miles. It's not, it's just crazy. Um, and he left it there. He's like, come on, you know, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then like a week later, we're all in a group run together. And this is how it happens. Just just in case other people are in this situation is, is the group mentality. Right. And we're in a group run together with Kurt and Ken and a few of our other friends. And Ken turns to Kurt and he says, hey, Kurt, Margaret will run the 100 mile Leadville if you do this Ironman. And Kurt says, before I can even open my mouth, he says, I'm in. <laughs> and before I could even before I could even say no, my friend Maria says, "Oh, I'll pace you to me." I'm like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so I think I think they had you know signed me up before I even agreed to it. Um, but I had a great experience then training for it. Um, did a couple races, a longer races to get myself prepped for the Leadville, and then I think I ended up taking third in my age group, which. You know, a little bit of success in something right. hard really goes a long way to making you want to do it again and do it better. Um, so so that, that sealed my fate, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have the, because uh, a lot of people I've talked to, you know, once they do that longer and it's like, yep, never again. <laughs> no, nope. I remember, I remember really clearly in the middle of the night and I'm still well, I'll put it in quotes, running, <laughs> right? <laughs> trotting probably is more like it, but I'm still, you know, trotting along. And I, I turned to Maria, who was pacing me at the time, and I said, you know, is this is this still faster than walking? Because I, you know, I know I'm not going fast. And she's like, yes, it's absolutely faster than walking. Um, and I just remember being able to run across the finish line and thinking that was that was pretty incredible. Um, something I didn't wasn't confident I could do. Wasn't confident in you know how it would feel the whole way but um you know had a had a plan uh, i i met some cool people while out on the trail um yeah it's not that everything went to plan but but that feeling of accomplishment and just um being a part of the world feeling yourself being small in the world also when you're out on this big great trail it's just something uh, really addictive for me <laughs> there is uh something i i did the endurance santa fe one um as part of a, a team and so you know i only did a a fourth of it and and there is something just that pulls you right yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> you know being out there and, and you have these moments when you're running with someone or even a group of people around you and it's it's awesome and then suddenly you find yourself alone because you know someone's fallen mm -hmm. off or you falling yeah. off people have sped, and you it's 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 very it was very interesting to me just how alone and yet together in this mm -hmm. whole kind of mass of this this wilderness it was it was uh i i can see why people are pulled to it for sure mm -hmm. yeah definitely yeah you get to it's like your your bubble gets to intersect with other people during during the race and and then at night maybe that bubble of awareness kind of shrinks too right you're you're no longer looking at the great vistas but you're you're looking at the trail in front of you that little spotlight on the trail and 
and all you have to think about is you know yourself moving moving along and um and where you're headed to next yeah it, it's yeah very yeah obviously obviously it's something i crave so yeah <laughs> yeah really you know they always talk you know and there's the book you know, the loneliness of the long distance runner and mm-hmm. <laughs> ultra running, trail running just takes it to a whole nother level. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so, so getting into this most recent, so you did the, the Arrowhead 135. Mm-hmm. How did you hear about this? What made you <laughs> think, oh, this sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so for those for those who aren't aren't um, familiar with the winter races, Arrowhead is 135 mile race that goes from um, International Falls, Minnesota, to Fortune Bay, Minnesota. It's point to point. Um, it's on a snowmobile trail, uh, so you can do it either on bike, on foot, or on skis. But you have to carry a lot of gear with you, and so that means you have to tote a sled behind you if you're running. Um, and so. So I started thinking that I might be good at winter ultras because, um, you know, the cold doesn't bother me very much. It doesn't bother me to be cold. Like, you know, some people, I, it actually can. My husband, just it it really bothers him to be cold. His hands get really, just really painfully cold. And mine don't. Um, that combined with, I remember doing the Run Rabbit Run 50 mile. Um, and the day started beautiful, but as often happens in the mountains, during the course of the day, all of a sudden it started raining and then it was sleeting. Um, and I didn't, it's not like I was prepared for that. I had a rain jacket, but I didn't have a lot of gear, but there were people that had to be taken off the mountain because they got hypothermic. Um, so oh, wow. it can get dangerous. Um, and yet I was pretty comfortable, right? There's something, you know, the conditions get ugly or cold or muddy and and I do better, you know? I don't know what that is, um, but I'm like, you know, Maybe I should look for some races that are, you know, set in this kind of weather. Maybe I'll do all right. <laughs> um, and so I started looking around on the web and and found, you know, there are a series of of winter ultras and um, Arrowhead is one of the oldest of them. Um, of course, the Iditarod uh, now also uh, is one that people know of. So I did some investigating in that. Um, and to qualify for the, to do the Iditarod, you have to do the Arrowhead or something like it. So so that made me really um, dive into it. So. <laughs> so does that mean the Iditarod is on your bucket uh, I would really like to, but I think I would have to retire first. So <laughs> <laughs> I have a job that takes a lot of my time. Um, but uh, boy, that that would be a pretty awesome goal. I would love to do that, but we'll see what we'll see what's in the future. Um, and also, uh, you know, I, the first time I put in for Arrowhead was for. Um, 2021 so for last year but obviously that that didn't happen um and i started to think you know two two years ago three years ago that um you know i'm 46 now um not not getting younger i'm entering perimenopause so i know the cold starts to affect people more as you get older i'm like you know if i want to if i want to try these races probably better not to wait right probably better to to take seize the moment Right. Um, and figure out figure out if this is something I enjoy doing. So, so how do you train to pull a sled living in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico? 
That's a good question. I don't know that I really did a great job of that, to be honest with you. So, yeah, so I had I built my sled. Um, I bought a kid's sled. I drilled holes in it. Um, I attached fiberglass poles um, to a hiking waist belt. Um, and I built it for that 2021 race because, you know, they didn't cancel it until kind of December time frame. So I tried pulling it once that year before they canceled it. Um, and I think, you know, my goal, my training plan said, okay, so New Mexico is not getting a lot of snow, but I'm going to try to pull my sled, uh, you know, building up to pulling it three and a half hours at a time. Um, I'm going to try out all my gear because they make you carry all your survival gear, right? So I had a bivy sack, I had a sleeping bag, I had a stove, food, um, uh, fire starter, um, a lot of a lot of things you might not normally carry in an ultra. Um, <laughs> so, um, so that's what I did. I built up from pulling it um, on the service road, just that that um, groomed ski cross country ski area at the top of the Sandias. Right. I pulled it there, you know, starting with, you know, an hour. And then I built up, I think, to two and a half hours. Um, it was hard to find a good surface here in New Mexico to pull on that was similar to what the Arrowhead had. I wasn't sure what that surface was going to be like. And so it was actually a really a stressful thing because pulling on that surface road, I had to wear my snowshoes because if I was wearing running shoes, I would just punch through that surface you know, and you just can't, you just can't move very fast if you're struggling with that, pulling a sled. Um, and using snowshoes, I was still only moving like two and a half miles an hour. Um, and I'm like, if I'm moving two and a half hours, miles an hour, I'm not going to be able to finish um, with aid station stops. So it was very stressful. Um, but luckily, my husband decided to go do that ski race in Chama. And that happened to be two weeks before Arrowhead. And so I went up with him. Um, and there's a lot of snowmobiling there. And so we found a route that was packed down by snowmobiles that was not cambered, right? It was pretty level, even if it was up and down hills. Right. Um, and I was able to go there uh, and pull, and that gave me a lot more confidence, right? I was out for three and a half or four hours. I don't remember, but then traveling like four miles an hour and feeling like it was super easy. Um, so yeah, that, that was a confidence builder. And I think without that, I would have been a lot more nervous getting to the start line. Yeah. But other than those weekend sled pulls on the snow, and I only did one of those a week um, because I couldn't get away from work. I just did road marathon training, to be honest. Um, yeah. So tempo runs. I didn't do like fast intervals, right? I stayed away right. from those because I figured they weren't they weren't specific to the race. But I didn't need to do any elevation training because it's in Minnesota, so the elevation is <laughs> low. I didn't need to climb mountains, right? I wasn't going to be climbing any mountains during this race. So I thought that flat, flattish road running was was probably the way to go. That makes sense. And I, man, I can't imagine <laughs> doing what you did if there was a big elevation gain. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, there's, a, there's the Drift 100 in Wyoming that actually has a lot more elevation gain. Um, it's also a snowmobile trail, so I'm curious about that one. But, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what that would be like. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's always I, I love talking to trail runners and ultra runners and and their thought process of like, oh, that seems so hard. I wonder what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I think that is that is the thing, right? I mean, once you once you get the notion. And then your brain starts working on the puzzle of how to solve it. 
right? How is it? What plan can I put in place that would allow me to finish this race and and with the best time possible, right? That's that's definitely a huge driver for me. I like I like the planning aspect. <laughs> you know, it, I obviously want to go more into this, but that that makes me kind of think the planning part of it. When you started out kind of doing triathlons, you have to plan, you know, fuel for that in kind of different ways because you're using, I mean, it's still endurance, but you have kind of different energy uh, mm-hmm. stores for each oh, yeah. aspects. And then you move into trail running where you're really trying to make sure you, you know, get in those calories to be able to go for those long distances. You know, what has that been like kind of the, the, the progression of, nutrition between kind of these different things that you've done yeah um so i'll say first off that um i think i'm pretty lucky in that my i can pretty much eat whatever i want um so so for the arrowhead for hundreds even um i i eat gels sometimes spring energy gels which are more real food but sometimes also goose um kind of switch back and forth um, one of those an hour, you know, try to get it 150. If I'm, if I'm working hard, 150 to 200 calories an hour. Um, and, and then you get to the aid station and it's a buffet and you can eat whatever you can handle and then you keep going. So, so I'm lucky that I'm not, uh, not sensitive to anything. I'm not allergic to anything. Um, and that makes things a lot easier. Um, so I think I took the planning from triathlon, which was a lot more gel focused, I tried the energy drinks. I don't really like the energy drinks so much, um, Gatorade or or noon or any of that. Pretty much water and and some kind of food, a bar or a gel or whatever. Um, trail running is, you know, oftentimes they have real food. People right. what people call real food yeah. at the aid stations, right? So they'll have wraps and grilled cheeses and breakfast burritos and sometimes pumpkin pie and brisket and <laughs> you name it. You get to the longer ones and things get pretty outrageous. Um, <laughs> So uh, whatever it is, I'm like, oh yeah, bring that on. I can eat that. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That that is a good problem to have where you're not too worried about what you can handle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I know from talking with a lot of other female athletes who have, you know, gotten a little older, they say that that typically tends to change so that um, the simple sugars are not as easy to process, which does make sense from a biology point of view, that enzyme that helps you break those down gets less active as you get older. Yeah. It's more of a problem for women than for men. Um, and so suddenly the goose and the Coke that works when you're 40, you know, maybe when you're 55 is not going to work anymore, right? Your stomach is not going to be able to process it. It'll just sit in there. So so I guess I'm trying now to to pay attention and to vary what I eat. But like I say, you know, it seems like it seems like everything is working to this point. So I'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, kind of a, along those lines, like you're you're in taking, like you said, kind of whatever you had to take a stove, you know, for survival <laughs> on this this race. Yeah. You know, did you did you end up having to use that at all, or were you able to make it through to the aid stations of what you were carrying? Yeah, so so you do have to carry things that aren't going to freeze in these winter ultras. I learned that doing the frozen otter, that sixty eight mile race I did in 2020. Um, 
And so for me, again, like gels worked fine. I could stick them in my sports bra or in a pocket kind of close to me and that would keep them warm enough. Um, bars were, you know, it depended. Sometimes they're just too hard to actually chew. So you don't want to be sitting there mouthing it, gumming it to death uh, on the trail. But beef jerky sticks work well. Um, so that's pretty much what I focused on. I did not dig out my slow stove. So I'd have to say for all of the survival gear that I was required to carry, um, I did not use any of it. <laughs> so, so you're required to carry it in case you get stuck out there and you have to you have survive in a blizzard for 24 hours until they can come get you. Um, so I had the spare 3000 calories. I had this heavy duty sleeping bag and the bivy sack and the stove and fire starter. Um, extra clothes and I didn't I didn't dig into any of that stuff um but I was prepared to so <laughs> and and the aid stations are they you know were they buildings where you could kind of warm up were they still kind mm -hmm. of outside how did that work yeah so this winter ultra this is a, a lot different in that they only had three aid stations for 135 miles um so you're going 37 miles up to 42 miles between aid stations wow and you're relied to be self-sufficient. So they give you one opportunity, one drop bag at the halfway point that can only have food in it um, that you can pick up. Otherwise, you have to carry everything that you need with you the whole time. Um, and so the first two aid stations, the first one's in a, in a gas station convenience store kind of place. Um, and so, heck, yeah, you can buy whatever you want there. So I, I carried enough food to get me to that to that aid station. And then I bought food there, <laughs> take me from there to the midpoint aid station. Uh, which is kind of funny, right? So they had soup, so I bought some soup. I was going to buy a brat, but I but I ended up not doing that. <laughs> Tito's, a Coke, uh, some candy bars. I think I bought a package of Rice Krispie treats for the trail, right? You know, so um, and then yeah, um, the that so that's in a building. The midpoint was in at a resort on a lake, um, and they actually had reserved a spare cabin for people to go sleep in if they wanted to sleep. Oh wow! Um, I didn't sleep, but. So got there at like 3 a.m. and they had grilled cheese and they had soup and they had, um, I don't know, they had several other things for you to eat and hot water. And I used the hot water to make mashed potatoes that I then was going to try and eat like around mile 90. So, so yeah, that was in a building. And then the final aid station is in a, was in a warming tent. Oh. They had set up a big canvas tent, I don't know, maybe 10 by 10 or so, in which they had a big stove set up that was glowing from the heat coming <laughs> off of it, which was really nice at that point, I got to say. Um, and you could sit down in there and arrange your stuff. So um, they didn't have any food at that aid station, which I regretted heartily. <laughs> I had a little mishap on the trail, but um, but they had hot water um, and all the aid stations had hot water that you could take. That's, that's great. How hard was it to leave kind of the warmth? And I mean, I don't, I'm assuming it was cold. Um, <laughs> How hard was it to leave the warmth of these stations and, and head back out there knowing you had, you know, 30 to 40 miles before the next one? Yeah, yeah, you would assume, you would assume it'd be pretty hard, but, but like I said, I really enjoy that, that planning aspect. Um, and maybe that carried over from the triathlon days of planning your transition. But so even in that aid station, I'm just thinking, okay. You know, I'm going to take my next food break in, you know, 10 or 15 miles, whatever that is. And I need this. I need this accessible until I get there. Um, 
So I'm not thinking, oh boy, it's so nice to be in this nice warm space. I get a chance to sit down. I'm going to take off my shoes, which I did all of that, right? But, but the entire time I'm thinking about getting yeah, back out there to the next step, right? right? And, and for me, it's yeah, having that plan. So at each point, I had a note card written out of like, here are the things I need to do at this aid station because you can't trust you can't trust your mile seventy two brain right. to, to remember everything you're supposed to do. Um, so. So working through the note card and then like, yep, okay, I'm done. Got everything checked off. Time to go. Right. There's not, there's not the, oh, woe is me. Oh, I'm so cold. Right. Yeah. You, you know, <laughs> it's all about mindset, I think. It's <laughs> a great way to put that. And I, that is a fantastic idea about the note cards. Like, all right, I'm at this oh, yeah. station. This is what I need to do because you're right. Like when you're tired and your legs are dead and you, you your mind isn't thinking clearly, you can forget about, you know, something you know whether it's changing socks or change you know something yeah. important that you probably need to do to be successful to continue on yeah yep and writing out those note cards is is an exercise also right you write you know i write them out the night before or two days before and i'm just thinking through each of those points and making sure i'm like okay yeah i'm going to need my polls accessible or or and so so there weren't very many things that I came on came upon during the race that were a surprise or that I hadn't considered. Um, not that I always did the right thing. I made several mistakes, but, you know, at least I had I had thought through how I was going to feel and I knew what was available to me and 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 to think through that. So um, I know some people did have did struggle to leave the aid stations. Right. You you can let yourself get really comfortable um, <laughs> and then it, and then it's hard. So. Okay. <laughs> You mentioned getting getting a soda. Um, <laughs> are you big on the caffeine intake during these? How, how do you fall on that? Because I know some people are are very high on caffeine. Some people are are definitely like it's not something they normally use in general. Mm. Yeah, I drink I drink caffeine normally, like in normal life. Um, and I would say I use it strategically during hundreds. So. Um, the first night, all I all I had was that you know that Coke, and I drank about half of a twenty ounce. Basically, I drank a can of Coke, um, like at six p.m. or something. And I think I maybe had one caffeinated gel that night, um, but I didn't really need it. I was I was really excited. I was having a lot of fun. Things were I was moving well. Uh, you know, the the second that first night, um, the first it was the first time I came upon hills, and I got to sled down the hills. And when's the last time you've been sledding? Unless you have young kids, right? right? You know, this is the first time I've been sledding in like 30 years. So <laughs> I was having a blast, right? You know, just um, so I wasn't in any danger of, of falling asleep and I was eating well, so I didn't really need the caffeine. Um, but I had plans to use caffeine that second night. I knew that, you know, my plan, I thought it might take me as much as 52 or 54 hours to finish. Um just based on my training, I just was not sure at all how this was going to go. Um, so I knew I was going to be out that second night. Um, and that's when I'm liable to get sleepy. Um, and so I had caffeine pills. I tucked them in a little pocket in my race vest and I had caffeinated gels. And my plan was to to take a quarter of a caffeine pill a couple times during the night. Um, so yeah, I use it strategically. It doesn't, again, it doesn't bother my stomach. So why not? <laughs> <laughs> you wrote a, a little kind of race recap and, and we've talked a little bit about some of that stuff um, 
for the Albuquerque Roadrunners newsletter. And not only in the title, but throughout the um, the write-up, you talk about karma. <laughs> and you talked about, you know, your mishap. And so let's let's dive karma aspect that you had for this race oh, that was so yeah I, I think it really does it is a good takeaway from this race because it definitely played into my whole experience <laughs> so about I'm running along and I start the race I actually started the race in the very back because the race starts you know there's there's fireworks and they send off the bikes first and then they're supposed to send off the skiers and then the foot the people on foot makes sense to me right you don't want the bikers running over the, the runners exactly. um, so I'm just standing kind of to the side of the trail watching the bikers leave and then I assume I'm going to see the skiers leave and so I'm like waiting and all of a sudden I realize that everyone is moving away from me even the foot people right they started my foot division and I didn't notice it because of the fireworks and I'm like oh I'm supposed to leave <laughs> so so I start the race and I'm kind of winding winding through people and I'm like oh, I'm moving faster than a lot of these folks but you know this feels super easy so I'm going to go with it um and about mile eight the sun had come up and and I see in the middle of a trail this insulated water container is one of those big metal ones you know, must have held a liter and a half or two liters. And I'm like, somebody, somebody lost their water, right? right? That's, that's potentially race ending, right? You can't, you're never going to be able to get another one. It's not like they have a drop bag with an insulated water container. So, so I picked it up thinking, well, you know, I'm still mm, 28 miles away from the aid station, but maybe they'd wait there. Maybe they'll find somebody else to help them. Maybe I'll run across them on the trail. So, um, so I picked it up, um, put it in my sled, kept going, and turns out the next person I came up to, you know, ten miles later, it was it was Pam Reed's water container. Pam Reed is a pretty well-known ultra runner. She also directs um, several races in Arizona, I think. Um, and she, before I could even say, I said, I, "Did you?" And I'm pointing to my sled, and she looks, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, you found my water container!" <laughs> so that was a great moment, right? We gave her the water container back um and we we chatted together and kept going um and then later in the race again at about mile 75 i found another water container and i'm oh, like wow. okay geez you know hopefully i get to return this to somebody right so i picked that up put it in my sled um and then you know at this point this is a, a gap between eight stations i just stopped at the mile 72 eight station um it was um, mile 88, I'd planned to get some food. So I got some food out of my sled, put it in my, my hydration pack, kept going. Mile 98, I planned to stop again to get some more food. I turn around and I look and my food, the bags, the Ziploc bags that I had filled with all my food, my, my gels, my bars, my brief beef jerky sticks, two of those had slipped out of my sled. Um, and so I basically had um, very little food left. And I wasn't sure. I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I can't. I, at that, I, I just stood there because I wasn't sure I was going to be able to finish, honestly. Um, I still had 37 miles to go. If you're only going three miles an hour, that's, you know, 22 miles or 22. Wait, 12 hours. What is that? Yeah, 12 hours. You can't do 12 hours with with hardly any food. Right. right. That's not It's cold out there. It's going to get colder. I went backwards on the trail I, for just half a mile and I didn't see it. I didn't see them anywhere. So I kept going. I thought, well, 
I'll get to the next aid station at mile 110. I know they don't have food there. Um, they're not allowed to give you food because you know you're supposed to be self-sufficient. This race is all about right. not just endurance, but survival, uh, self-reliance, and, and solitude. I think those are the the key words for this race. They want you to to be self-reliant. Um, I'm like, well, I'll get to the aid station. I'll dig through my pack and figure out what I have left. Um, I knew I wasn't in serious danger, right? Because I have 3,000 calories they make you finish with. Right. Um, those are your emergency calories. So it's not like I was in danger of, of starving to death or dying or whatever <laughs> without food. I had that food, but I would have been DQ'd, right? So I was trying not to trying not to dive into that. Um, and at this point, I was, you know, I was tired not thinking very clearly. I did not have a note card for this situation. <laughs> I was going to say, you're very, right? you seem very methodical in your planning. And yeah. this is a pretty major, I mean, you can't, you, you can't plan for this really. Yeah. 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 So what do you do? Right. Um, so I looked at, at the food I had in my pack, um, in my, in my vest. I'm like, okay, I have a couple of gels. I have a beef jerky stick, which I've eaten half of and a granola bar, which I've eaten half of. So I finished the beef jerky stick and the granola bar, and I saved everything else. So that basically meant I didn't eat for like three hours. Um, so I kept drinking the water, and but I didn't eat. By the time I got to that 110 mile aid station, my plan here was just, I better not eat because when I get to the aid station, I'll take an inventory of everything I have and decide whether or not I can go on. Um, thinking, looking back on it, I should have, I should have said, you should feel yourself appropriately, right? <laughs> right? Don't let yourself get cold. Don't let yourself get too depleted um, because, you know, who knows, you know, who knows what will happen. Right. Um, but anyway, so that that's what I did. And I got into that aid station and I was, um, I didn't want to stop to put on another layer. So I was really, really cold. Um, I hadn't eaten in a long time. And, and I knew I didn't have any food. Um, so Ken was there and he had heard from another racer who had passed me because I'd asked him, like, hey, did you see any food on the trail? Did you maybe pick it up? I was just crossing my fingers. Right. Um, but he, you know, so he had told Ken what was going on with me. Um, and, uh, and Ken's like, it's OK. The aid station captain, it turns out, has just started his own energy gel company based on his maple farm, maple syrup farm. And he has a few samples. So he's willing to give you a couple of samples that'll get you to the finish. Like, okay, all right, this is what I need to do. If he can give me, and I kind of, you know, counted up the calories I had. I'm like, okay, if he can give me 600 calories, I can get to the finish on that. <laughs> so, wow. so I'm sitting there with all of my gels and everything spread out in the floor of this warming tent. And as I'm trying to get warm and trying to eat just a little bit to recover, in walks another racer and he's holding two Ziploc bags two of my gallons of black bags filled with my food. And he says, are these yours? And I, you know, I, I could not believe, right. That karma had turned around so quickly, right. I had returned somebody's water bottle, <laughs> picked up a second water bottle. Um, and, and yeah, um, karma really came through for me in that regard. So um, I couldn't believe it. Cause now I had the caffeinated gels I was counting on. I had um, the food I was used to, right. You know, everything was back on track. So, oh, and it had the note card in it. So now I knew what I had to do at that aid station. Without that, I didn't have my note card. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, that's a good idea to stick it with the food, too, because you know you're going to go through the food. So <laughs> They're going to go into the food, so you're going to see the note card. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, uh, wow. I, I cannot imagine the, the, the whole thought process through that of what could have been going through your head. Like you said, I mean, you, you're just trying to get through. You're obviously making decisions and admittedly probably not the best decision to go three hours without food. <laughs> yeah. And, and and just the, I'm sure a little bit of panic of, I've I've done everything I can to put myself in this position, mm-hmm. and here I am, and and now I don't have it. And okay, he's this person can give me some packets, you know, and that'll get me through. But it's not, you know, again, not what you had planned for. It's not mm-hmm. didn't right. follow that that you know the note card. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, at that point, you have to abandon. And actually, that that is something that I learned about myself, right? That even though I had this plan, I didn't panic. You know, I didn't freak out. I wasn't in tears at the side of the trail thinking, I've put in all this work and now this has happened and I can't go forward. I'm like, well, I'm going to go forward and it'll be, you know, I I did slow down that three hours. I was not trying to push the pace at any point, right? Um, And so I'm like, I know. You know, I tried, I think most ultra runners now have tried um, the keto diet and tried, <laughs> tried, tried that kind of, um, uh, what do they call it? Where you, where you haven't fed yourself before running. Oh, right? yeah. The, the fast, fast, fasted state. Yeah. Thank you. And so I, I had, I had done some of that a couple of years ago and I'm like, I know, I know I can go for six hours and take in hardly any food. I won't be able to go fast and I won't feel great. Right. But I know I know what I'm capable of. And so so it was time for a new plan, right? I'm like, okay, this is I have to reduce my expectations um and keep going forward as far as I could. But yeah, that was nice to know that I could come up with a, a plan B <laughs> when needed. <laughs> and and, 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 and it's, it's it's great to hear like this this side of this meticulous planning and knowing this is how I'm probably going to feel. This is probably what I'm going to need. And and having it planned out. So you're taking the guesswork out of, I mean, yes, you're still having to listen to your body, but you're kind of taking some of that guesswork out. So you're not trying to listen to a tired mind. And yet yeah. the adaptability of being able to, well, it has all gone horribly wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> here's what I can still do to yeah. achieve my goal. Yeah. Yep. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I would say um, it was a it was a good day in terms of um, being able to come up with that. I don't know that that would that would happen. I don't know how likely that is to happen again, but I was really grateful, <laughs> really grateful that day that that I was able to keep in that space. That's that's great. And so you finished the last. So you said that was. 110, 112 was that last? Yeah, 110, that 110 mile aid station. So 25 miles left to go. Yeah. You're back on track. (laughs) Yeah, back on track. So I left that aid station and it's um, had just started getting dark. I remember leaving that aid station and I just, I wanted to leave it before needing my headlamp. I was like, I'm going to go down the trail as far as I can get without turning on this headlamp. Those little goals, right? You just yeah. have these little these little things that you're gonna do and it makes you so happy <laughs> when you've been going for so long. So um yeah, uh those last twenty-five miles, um 
And, you know, these are some things that while I had planned, uh, um, the plan didn't actually work out that well. So um, for carrying food, I had a waist belt on, like one of those stretchy waist belts, and that was Mm -hmm. under a bunch of jackets. And I had my hydration vest on that was under a bunch of jackets. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes those hydration vests has pockets kind of on the sides of you, on your flanks, um, which in a normal, if you're not wearing jackets, right, you can reach right in there. It's not a problem. Right. and so I put my caffeinated gels in these side pockets and in my hydration vest, thinking I'd be able to get to them. Right. Um, and I'm going along. And that night it did get really cold. Um, the previous previous 24 hours hadn't been too terrible, right? The first day was actually positively warm. I think it got up to like 20 degrees. So that was, I was a little, you were worried that the snow was going to get soft. <laughs> what, um, what is your definition of not that terrible? <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> Yeah, I think um, anything above zero, as long as there's not a whole lot of wind, is is oh, that's perfectly fine, right? Okay. I can in that kind of weather, I can run with just wool liners on my hands, um, and they don't get cold, and I can run with just a little beanie on my head, um, and I'm generating enough heat that it's, that I'm comfortable, right? That's yeah. the goal. Um, but that night, the second night, it did get cold. It got down to negative cool. twenty-seven, um, and um, and you're tired, right? Mm. You're not. But I knew where everything was, but I just could not get to it. Um, I had two gloves on, and inside the gloves were hand warmers. Um, and so in order to get to those things, I, I would have to prop up my poles, my running poles, on a tree or on a snowdrift because I didn't want to bend over. <laughs> <laughs> prop up the poles, take off the big gloves, unzip three jackets, dig around um, in in that vest to try to get to my caffeinated pills. But the everything was so tight because of things I was wearing underneath. It was hard to get into those pockets. And actually I just couldn't do it. My hands would get too cold um, in the process of getting to things that I couldn't dig out the caffeinated gels or the caffeine pills. Um, And so if I were to do this again, I would just get a big old fanny pack that would go on the outside of everything (laughs) to carry that food. And then to get it warm again, I'd I'd put it like in in an inside pocket or something. Or for me, I just put it in my sports bra. It worked great. Um, I don't know what you guys would do, but uh, yeah, that, great, that works great for women. To there. <laughs> so, um, but uh, so I ended up getting really hungry and really, really tired in those last 25 miles. Um, I was singing to myself out on the trail because I'm all by myself pretty much all the, the entire race. After yeah. the first 18 miles, I was all by myself. So I'm singing myself songs. I'm having little chats. I'm trying to save the world's problems, you know. <laughs> All that kind of stuff. <laughs> How, uh, you know, I can just, I'm trying to imagine, you know, I don't know exactly where this is at, but I mean, how, how open were the skies and the stars and, and all of that mm-hmm. through, the, through the two nights? So the first night was cloudy. Um, it actually snowed a little bit on us, which was actually a lot of fun going downhill. If you can just imagine you have this headlight on, so it's <laughs> reflecting all the snow, right, coming down, right. and you're sledding downhill, right? So you're sitting on top of all your gear in the sled. You're pulling. You're pushing yourself with your poles. The snow is coming at you. You're squinting, right? You can't see anything. You can't see where the trail goes. You're going like a million miles an hour. Of course, it's probably not even close to that. Right. Slow, but it feels a little fast. Um, so yeah, no stars, no stars really visible that night. There were several opportunities that were open. You have to cross a frozen lake, 
um, before the um, 72 mile aid station. So that's completely open. Um, but the second night, uh, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. It was, it was crystal clear. Of course that makes it colder, but right, right. <laughs> um, no clouds in the sky and bright, bright stars out. Um, some places you're, you're going through, you know, an evergreen forest and, and it gets a little narrow, but still there's that strip of stars above you. Um, just really beautiful, really beautiful environment, totally different from trail running in New Mexico. <laughs> right. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, what was it like to, you know, after all of it, you know, 135 miles sled behind you, <laughs> <laughs> the ups and downs of losing food and finding it again. Yeah. Right. What, what was that like to, you know, to, to reach that goal and, and cross that finish line? I think it was um, even a few miles before the finish line is when I started to feel that that sense of um, accomplishment. And you, for me, starting to think over the things that had happened over the last 40 hours, right? You know, like I went from from feeling great here and remembering the, the people that I talked with, the aid station volunteers who were like, don't, don't you want to go sleep? And I'm like, no, I'm not going to sleep. <laughs> thinking through all just the little vignettes in your head of things that have happened, knowing that um, in 15 minutes, half an hour, you're going to cross the finish line and, and you'll have, you'll have completed what you set out to do. Um, so it, definitely that, that feeling of like um, revisiting the challenge, like why it is, it was important to me to start the challenge, why, why it was important to me um, and how I addressed it. And, um, and yeah, it feels really amazing. Uh, and you feel, I feel so grateful for, you know, my body that allows me to do these things for my family that allows me to do these things. Right. It's so supportive. Right. Um, yeah. But it's, it's a great feeling. It, it makes me feel, I guess, quiet in my soul, right. There's, there's not a feeling of of the hurly burly, you know. I have to rush to get things done, right? All of that's stripped away, and you're just you're just feeling yourself out there in the world and being able to take in um, what it is that you're doing and and who you're who you're there with. So yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's that's fantastic, and I think that's a great place to wrap up for today. Um, it's a, yeah, it's an amazing. <laughs> journey I just just to hear you know again I, I love kind of talking you know with people and hearing kind of where they start off and you know to where they to where they end up and you know running in in high school and, and starting off with you know the those track events and moving up into triathlon and meeting these crazy people like you're doing 50 days <laughs> you're doing 100 no I would never and <laughs> here you are <laughs> Over you gotta be careful miles. who you hang out with, right? Yeah. You just start become one of the sheep. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's 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 fantastic. I, I love seeing it, and it's it is um, all aspects of the sport how it can just pull you in, and you, and you find what you you really love, and and being around mm-hmm. the people that that feel the same way as you. Yeah, it's incredible. It, um, it's incredible to find your find your group of people who who are doing all of these amazing, inspiring things, interesting, um, and are willing to talk to you about it and are so open. So yeah, 
Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, my, the last question that I ask everybody, you know, what are you listening to to get you out there ready to go pull a sled for a couple of hours <laughs> or do some road running or, or what are you singing to yourself when you're on mile 120 <laughs> of a frozen race? <laughs> yeah, good question. So I don't, I don't usually listen to music when I run. Um, I like to, I like to be in the environment I'm in and, and listen to my footsteps and heartbeat and birds. <laughs> um, but to get myself amped up, especially for those tempo runs that just, you know, you, you have this little sense of anxiety when facing those. I like, um, especially with the pandemic, I've, I've reverted to some things that I listened to when I was younger or some older music, you know, some, some carry on my wayward son, Kansas, oh, yeah. uh, some all along the watchtower, Jimi Hendrix. So uh, painted black. <laughs> so so some things that you know have have a good beat have a little bit of rawness to them um that helps that that gets me pumped up but out there singing on the trail I think I sang some indigo girls <laughs> I think I sang some Rihanna you know it's just whatever came to mind so wherever your mind went that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> whatever songs I knew the words to I think that was actually more the, <laughs> the key ingredient that yeah that makes sense <laughs> Oh, well, Margaret, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun talking to you and really getting to kind of dig into this, this race, this accomplishment is, was a lot of fun for me on, on my end to, to hear because I don't know, you almost make it sound fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally fun. You should definitely try it. No, really. Thanks for having me on. I just, I really appreciate it. Um, really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? Um, gosh, no, I don't think so. I think uh, I think that's about it. But everyone should definitely try something that they think sounds cool, even if they're not sure they can finish it. That's great advice. <laughs> All right, I'm going to stop the recording. It doesn't. I'd once again like to thank my guest for their time and thank you for tuning in. If you have the opportunity, please rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts or just help spread the word. Music was provided by Philip Friedman. You can follow him on SoundCloud at DJ Teach. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at RunningNM. Feel free to drop me a line or shoot me an email at RunningNewMexico.com at gmail.com if you have any questions or know of someone who should be interviewed. In the meantime, keep running, New Mexico.